Heavenly Father, in good times, you were there. But also in difficult times, you are there. It has been a difficult week, but you are there. God, we trust you. We know that you love us. You've told us that you do. We know that you are our good, good Father, as we sang this morning. And we are so thankful for your embrace. We are so thankful for the strength that you lend to us. God, I pray for these families that have lost this week. I thank you, Lord, for the, the services that were held during the week, but I can only imagine how difficult this week has been. And yet, Lord God, you are there. There are so many around us that need your healing touch, Lord. Those fighting cancers and, and various physical ailments, Lord, we pray for Steve Roth, we're thankful that the surgery went well, but now we pray for his leg to start working again so that he can come home. And we pray for Donna, too, when she's suffering with knee pain. And God, it's a bad combination. Um, when the caregiver can't walk around, that's always tricky. So Lord, I just pray for the Roths. I'm thankful, Lord, for the way that you intervene in our lives. And even as Amber has said, uh, the victory that she and her family has experienced, she so longs for her friends who are in the same spot she was in. Lord God, would you please show them the light so that they can get back home again? We pray, Lord, that you would give Ryan and Amber the right things to say at the right time to give encouragement to her friends. Lord, we think about Deanna Parent, and still she's had knee issues, been going on for weeks now, Lord. I pray for healing and resolution. We thank you for the March for Life. God, I pray for Chris and, and the week he's had. It sounds like it's been a difficult one. God, would you pre, please bring healing and normalcy? Lord, there is much that we have to be praying for. A grandmother on hospice. Lord, life and death. We love you, God. We know that you love us. Give us the strength to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week has been a very difficult week for many in our church family. Two people that we know and loved have passed from this life to the next. For me personally, I, as I mentioned, had the privilege of joining the Uzelman family in their time of remembrance for Rich. And I also, along with many of you, joined with the Almquist family as they remembered Dan. Funerals never happen at convenient times. Life is always busy, 
but death has a way of reminding us that life is much more than the busyness that we think is so important. Life and death are both a part of our experience as human beings. Even though we often do our best not to think about death. Funerals force us to refocus on what really matters. And death reminds us of what is most important in life. The words of Jesus that we're going to be looking at today shine brightly against the backdrop of this week. Jesus' words always point toward eternity. This week of funerals has really punctuated the powerful words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. This portion of Luke is a parable that has come to be called the parable of the rich fool. It is noteworthy that this particular parable is only in Luke and not in the other three Gospels. As I mentioned to you many months ago, the Gospel of Luke gives special attention to the ideas of rich and poor, to have possessions or to lack possessions. The poor are given special position in Luke, while riches are to be handled very carefully by followers of Christ. Before we dive into this parable this morning, I want to share an interesting news story that I ran across this week. It's only a two-minute audio clip, um, and in this clip, a researcher is, is being interviewed, and this researcher, he conducted a test using the board game Monopoly to try and understand how humans respond to inequality. Now, I thought the findings of this study were fascinating, and I believe that it is a good introduction to what Jesus has to say about this subject in our parable today. Now, if you'd like to listen to the entire clip of this, I'm only playing two minutes, you can go to uh, marketplace.org and search for the term monopoly. You'll find the nine-minute clip. So here we go. Just listen to this two-minute audio clip. Researchers rigged a game of Monopoly, you know Monopoly, so one player has a ridiculous random advantage based on a flip of a coin. The lead researcher is Paul Piff, a professor of psychology at the University of California, Irvine. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, David. So here are these players, one of them doing well because of a flip of a coin, the other one not doing well. And what happens to the players doing better? It kind of goes to their head. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what was notable is that within just a couple of minutes, dynamics start to crystallize. The rich player, they start banging the table piece louder with their piece as they move around. They started eating more pretzels and did so in ruder fashion. We had a bowl of pretzels positioned on the table. Uh, They start showcasing their property, their wealth. So kind of across all these different uh, indexes, we found that rich players acted as if they deserved to win. They think it's their own awesomeness. You got to love human beings, don't you, huh? I mean, we're just such great people. And I think that's the, that's the kicker, is that at the end of the study, we ask rich players why they inevitably won. And they don't talk about the flip of the coin. They talk about the things that they did. They talk about their acumen. They talk about that decision or that thing that they did. And I think that this is a basic human bias that's true of all of us. And that is that when something good happens to you, we 
I think because of the cognitive machinery that we're kind of equipped with, think about the things that we did that contributed to that success. And we see that in people who win in all walks of life. When you're winning, you think about the things that you did to help you win. The problem is that bias writ large, at least in the domain of inequality, it can get people who are winning at the game of life, who have more money, who have more privilege, who have more power, to be less likely to think that inequality is a problem because after all, they deserve what they have. And as a result, be less willing to do things about it, be less willing to contribute to people who have less. Because Trista is a, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but a social psychology grad student who does things like this. So Trista is in the, 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 like the real world where these studies are happening. She has done studies like this. I thought that story was fascinating. Did you understand what happened there? Don't, don't you hate I mean, playing Monopoly is annoying enough when someone's beating you, right? right? Now imagine if you, they, they, you played a game of Monopoly where they flipped a coin at the beginning of the game. Whoever won the coin flip got a ridiculous advantage. Now, I don't know what the advantage was, but I assume it was something like, that person got an extra thousand bucks every time they went around compared to the other person. It was probably something like that. I just thought that was fascinating. Hmm. You know, it seems that human beings have a strong tendency to view their success in terms of their own accomplishments. Even when they know there's an unfair advantage. It seems that humans naturally believe that our success is because of our own smarts and strengths. Hmm. You know, that way of thinking doesn't leave a lot of room for God, does it? In fact, that way of thinking doesn't leave a lot of room for anybody except yourself. Now let's see what Jesus had to say about this, shall we? Would you pray with me as we are about to go to God's Word? Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we recognize that your word is life. We also know that this word of yours has been inspired by you. And now, God, we ask that you would inspire us as we interpret your word. Be here with us, Lord. Amen. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone 
who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This parable is about one thing. Greed. The dangers of greed. Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it means to be a disciple. In fact, all of chapter 12 is Jesus saying, here's what a disciple looks like in real life. How does a person live as a disciple of Jesus? And so when it comes to money and possessions, how should disciples live? Now, verse 15 gives us a crystal clear picture of the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples. Look again at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I'm always really thankful when Luke, um, the author of the gospel, helps us interpret the parables of Jesus by simply telling us the point. It's, sometimes Jesus' parables are tricky, and we have to really work at understanding them. In this case, we don't have to work at all. Luke actually tells us what the purpose of the parable is right before the parable. Now, it's important. I mean, this is it. That's the purpose of the parable. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Like, that's the purpose of the parable. So, Jesus is giving us a warning. And we need to keep this in front of us all the time. This, this is what the parable is about. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Wake up. Pay attention. Listen up. And by the way, the, see the be on your guard right there? In Greek... The verb in that sentence, be on your guard, is actually a present tense verb. Now, the Greek language is a little bit unique. Present tense in Greek signifies an action that is continuing. So, when we think of something happening as a present tense, we think it happens and it's done. In Greek, present tense means it happens and it continues to happen. It continues, it continues, it continues. When Jesus says, be on your guard, it means continually, all throughout your life. This is a continual thing to be on your guard about. And be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Well, if you stop and think about that for just a moment, this is a very strange statement. When I think about greed, like if someone asked me what greed was, I would probably think greed is just one thing, right? But look, according to Jesus Christ, you know, God, there are lots of different kinds of greed. I think that's interesting. How could there be kinds of greed? I wonder what Jesus is referring to. And the next line is also thought-provoking. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Once again, the events of this week bring this into brilliant focus. If I can quote Dave Ramsey, as long as we're going to be doing Financial Peace University, this is a Dave Ramsey saying, you don't see a U-Haul following a hearse, do you? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's truth. That is truth. But consider how often, consider how often In our culture, we measure a person's life by their possessions. Consider that. 
This is a significant and incredibly dangerous problem in our culture today. This is a specifically, I mean, it's been a problem all through history. But for America today, this is a major problem. We measure people based upon their possessions and wealth. That's if they're doing well or not, right? Well, Jesus recognized that it has very, it's very dangerous to both our life on earth as well as our eternal life to measure ourselves by our possessions. And now he uses a parable to get his point across, starting in verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, I've read that parable twice. You should by this time, having heard it twice, start to ask yourself, wait a second. I can't quite figure out what this guy did wrong. Hmm. Because at first glance doesn't necessarily look like he did anything wrong. In fact, it kind of looks like he was just being prudent. Did he do something wrong? Well, let's ask a few questions and try to figure it out. Look again at verses 16 and 17. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. First question, is Jesus saying that it is wrong to be wealthy. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. The man in this story just happens to have a good harvest. It's not wrong to have a good harvest. Moreover, Jesus doesn't even give a hint, not even a hint, that the way that the man obtained his good harvest was somehow immoral. It, it, it's not that he was immoral, that he cheated somebody else to get this good harvest. Jesus does not even hint that. In fact, this part of the parable, he just had a good harvest. It's okay. It's, it's okay to have a good harvest. It was all right. It's not a sin to have a good year. It also isn't wrong for a farmer to make a plan for how to store the harvest. That's just good planning. And Jesus in other places talks about building towers and you've got to make a plan. I mean, so it's not wrong to, to make a plan to build new barns. So the, the point that Jesus is making is not that wealth is wrong in and of itself. That is helpful. Because if you get that wrong, it's going to be really confusing. <laughs> Life's going to be really confusing. So what is Jesus getting at? Well, let me remind you again of what Luke has already told us is the point of this parable. Go back to verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, this parable is about greed, not wealth. Greed. So what did the rich man do that was greedy? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Okay, well, let's go back to the parable. Look now at verses 18 and 19. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. All right. At first hearing, now you've heard that three times. I've read it three times to you now. Our American ears have trouble identifying the greed that is in these verses. Because we think that's what you're supposed to do. After all, isn't that the American dream? Build bigger barns. Translation. Had to add a garage stall on. Got to put three cars now. Right? I had to build that outbuilding, you know. More stuff. Right? Had to go get that bigger house. Right? Isn't this the American dream? So we look at that and we say, what's wrong with that? Well, I believe that this is exactly the problem with our culture. Our culture is so distorted about money and possessions, we can't even see what the problem is. In the verses on the screen that you're looking at right now, I want you to count how many times the word I and my are in those two verses. Go ahead, count. The answer is eight. Eight. I'll, I, my, I, my, my, I'll, and myself. And then the last sentence, you have plenty of good things. He's actually referring to himself. <laughs> so in the last sentence, the you have many good, plenty of good things laid up for many years, he's actually, that's another I because <laughs> he's talking to himself. I. Wow! Do you see anything about God in the rich man's plan for his bumper crop? Nope. Do you see anything about other people in the rich man's plan for his bumper crop? Nothing. The only thing I see in his plan for his bumper crop is I'll, I, my, I, my, my, I'll, myself, and you referring to himself. That's what I see. That's called greed. Nothing about God, nothing about others. And my commentary that I was reading for this sums it up well. The essence of greed is keeping what resources God brings your way for yourself. That was good. I'm going to say that again. The essence of greed is keeping what resources God brings your way for yourself. Instead of thinking of God and others, the rich man thought only of himself. And moreover, his thinking consisted exclusively on taking it easy, just relaxing. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, this reminds me to a phrase. If you're, over, if you're over 50, you may have never heard this phrase before, but if you're under 50, you've definitely heard this phrase. YOLO. YOLO. 
Brendan, what does YOLO mean? You only live once. He didn't even hesitate. Wasn't even, he didn't even have to think. It was literally in his prefrontal cortex, loaded up. He didn't even have to use his long-term memory. It was right there. You only live once. Well done, Brendan. Sucker afterwards if you want one. So, you only live once. Doesn't that sound a lot like, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry? You have plenty of stuff? Spend it on yourself. Go for it. Hmm. This is not the way of the disciples of Jesus. Disciples are not on earth to just live for ourselves. Hmm. It is at this point when the man should have recognized that God was the ultimate source of his good crop. Not his hard work. <laughs> Although hard work is part of it, but it's not the source. God's the source. And he should have thus seen this good crop as the beginning of his responsibility, not the end. Oh, can I say that again, please? This is the second time I'm saying something twice. When you get a good crop, that's the beginning of your responsibility, not the end. Oh, that's a little different way of thinking about things, isn't it? Material wealth and many possessions are not the end of responsibility, they are the beginning of responsibility. Let me say that again in a different way. Being blessed with material resources is the beginning of your responsibility, not the end. When you get a good crop, you have not arrived. You have begun the journey. The entire concept of retirement does not fit well with Christianity. Think about that. Dale, this has bugged you, hasn't it? You've wanted to talk about this, but how do we talk about this in a culture where we're totally saturated with the whole goal of everything is to get to a point when all you have to do is just play golf all day? How do you talk about this in that society, right? It's the beginning. Retirement's the beginning, not the end of your responsibility. Verses 20 and 21, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know, I originally titled this sermon, The Rich Fool. But after spending some time in God's Word studying this, reading it over and over, I changed the, the sermon title to the last three words because that's the point of the parable. Life and the material possessions that are part of life they're not who you are. Being rich toward God determines who you are. Oh, that's a whole different concept. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means that we realize that our money and possessions are not our own. Because all we have is given to us by God. It means that we realize that we have responsibility to use what God has given us to help those around us. It means that we need to evaluate our possessions in light of God and others. Do you take the things God has given you and store them up for yourself and your own purposes? Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you are the opposite of greedy. What is the opposite of greedy? 
generous. Generous is the opposite of greedy. Ephesians 4.28 kind of sums up this well. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do you understand that the resources that you earn with the work of your hands are for that purpose? They're for that purpose. Do you see it? That is the purpose of why you work with your hands. Not so you can put more stuff in your barns. You can work with your hands and God will bless that for the purpose of sharing with those in need. Do you share with those in need? Here we go. My time's up. Now we're getting practical. The last practical stuff. I want to say this first and then, well, we'll find out more about this later today. I know that this group of people and you at home are by and large a very generous group of people. I know that. I have seen it with my own eyes in the past 15 years. I have seen the generosity of the people of this church. Both, I mean, I'm not just talking about you know, tithes and offerings and paying off the building. All of those things did happen. I'm talking about the way that we give to the community, the way we give to people in need. I've seen it. But what did Jesus say? Be on your guard. That's continually. So this is like a reminder. Just because of what we've done in the past doesn't mean we've arrived. It means we have begun. The resources you've been given and I've been given are the beginning of the responsibility of what we need to do for God. We cannot get complacent. We must continually be on guard against greed. And so, I've come up with just five little practical things. I'm sure that if I asked you, you could come up with dozens of practical things. These are just things that will help you be generous instead of greedy. Here's number one. This might seem small. Would you please tip your waiters and waitresses better than you're doing? We just came through a pandemic in which most of them have been out of work. Would, I, I, I have watched Christians sit there and get like, like literally they'll dig and they'll, they'll like put some change on the table after a meal. What are you doing? Now, I understand the purpose of tipping is if someone does a good job, you tip them well. If they do a bad job, I get all of that. But think about what it means to be generous. I know that many Christians never tip more than 10% at the most. Okay, here you go. You ready for this? 20% is the, is the average standard now. So if you have not been tipping 20%, start if the, if the waiter or the waitress just gives you average service, like what you would expect, right? 20%. If they give you exceptional service, go above 20. Be generous. It's not yours anyways. It's God's. Number two. Do you remember the last time you helped a family in need? That's a fair question. When's the last time you actually dug into your pocket and helped someone in need? Someone you know is in trouble. Someone you know is struggling with a difficult situation. This might be too bold, but I, I'm going to say it anyways. 
If you just can't possibly think of someone to help right now that's in need, I'm going to name someone. J.C. Ray Almquist. Send her a check. She needs it. How full are your barns? Number three. Are your finances, your personal finances, so messed up and you're so far in debt from the bad decisions that you've made that there's no possible way you can help anyone but yourself? Is that you? I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying this to show you that there's a way out. Because remember what that last verse, will you put that verse back up, Ephesians? The purpose of working with your hands is so that you can share with those in need. If you don't have the resources to share, if what I've just said to you was like, well, I can't, I can't send a check that's going to bounce, right? Then you need to change this. You need to do something about this, and you can. Like, I'm on the other side of the wall. I'm throwing a rope over. Like, come on, you can do it. I, I believe in you. We're doing this Financial Peace University class for you so that you can do that. Not so you can have to get bigger barns, so you can do that. So that when we say we're going to a missions trip in Allen, South Dakota to help the Lakota people, can you get away from work for a week? And you just say, yep, I sure can. I'm ready. Because you've got a plan. Because you've been working with your hands so that you can share with someone in need. If you are not at that place, if you can't do that, then you should take Financial Peace University to learn God's way of handling money so that this can be you. And it can be. It can be. Number four, are you in a place where you've been received a good crop, okay? And you could do something very practical. You want to know something very practical? You could sponsor a family to go through Financial Peace University. <laughs> there's a crazy idea. Now, I know you've got to have skin in the game to make it work. But there's some people that can't afford it. If, the, if, you, if your barns have been blessed, then come talk to me privately and say, I will help sponsor this many families through FPU. I'll say, okay, I will let you know. That's what I will say. And then I'll call you in probably two weeks. And if you're one of these people that, I, I don't want to take Financial Peace University, but, but I can't really afford it, so I'm just not going to do it. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Let the people who have been given resources by God bless you because they need to do what that verse on the screen said. It's It's... It's, the, it's generosity. We must do this or we are greedy. Let them bless you so that later you can bless someone else. And number five, are you so concerned with building your own barns that you can't even see the needs of those around you? Oh, man. The pandemic and the government shutdowns, there's a whole lot of people that are hurting. And somehow we've got it in our brains as a society that the government's the one that fixes this. Are you for real? These stimulus checks that are just trillions of dollars just getting thrown around. We are the ones who are the hands and feet of Christ and we can do this. We can do this. 
We can help the people around us. The food shelf is one good example, but we, you know we can do so much more than the food shelf. We can. There's so much more. The generosity of God has no end. The generosity of God's people. can be amazing. So that's what God had for us today. A day when we're going to come back here at 1 o'clock and talk about the dollars and cents of our church, the future direction of our church, where 2020 has been, where 2021 is going. I encourage you to come back and participate. Would you pray with me? And then we will be dismissed. Lord God, we are just so thankful for your word. Jesus, thank you for this parable. Thank you for the reminder. And may we be a church that is constantly vigilant against greed. May we be a church that is always generous with the people in our community, with the with people that need, they need you, God, and they also need help just with life. God, we want to be a church where that kind of living it's simply a habit. It's just, it's more than a habit. It's just who we are. May we be that kind of church. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because you have given us all that we have. May we be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. 1245. If you're coming, please be here at 1245, no later, so we can start right at 1 o'clock. 1245.